Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. How are you today? So as I record this, it is a gorgeous day in Florida in March. And I hope that you are seeing some signs of spring and thaw wherever you're at. I know for the Midwest in particular, it's been a super tough winter. And so I hope you're, you're seeing the, the light at the end of the proverbial tunnel. So this quarter, we're wrapping up here uh, till the end of March, talking about various aspects of leadership. And I hope that I've given you a really good variety of kind of perspectives on this. And today I wanted to talk about what I see as the top 10 leadership derailers. So I want to really kind of talk about what can go wrong. And I think some of these are obvious and some are a little bit more um, insidious and can kind of creep up on you. So I want to, I want you to think about you're either, you know, aspiring to a leadership role or maybe you've, you know, just started a leadership role. And one of the things I've said before on this podcast, particularly in this quarter, as we've talked about leadership, is that some people mistakenly think that to act like a leader, you must have a leadership role. And what I say to you is leadership is attitudinal, not positional. And what I mean by that is you should be and can be, it is available to you to be a leader no matter what role you're in, what your job title is, and whether or not you actually lead people. If you think back, those of you that are out of college, think back to even high school and certainly college. Who were those people who sort of rose to the top as leaders in their you know, sorority or fraternity or professional organization or club or sports um, team, and maybe you're that person. I hope that it was you. Um, one of the things that I look at when I do the Myers-Briggs with people, which is a personality inventory, is one of the scales that it measures is your kind of default as far as leadership. And so there are people who default to avoiding leadership roles whenever possible. So they really prefer to let someone else do it and on the other end of that spectrum are the people who default to leadership. So if no one steps up, they're kind of the first ones to raise their hand and, and take that role. And I, I kind of fall over on that side. And when I think back in my career, I wasn't given a lot of positional leadership authority early in my in my life. When I was in college and even high school, because as most of you can probably relate to the fact that a lot of times that's a popularity contest more than an actual, you know, who's the best leader for this group. And I always felt early on like I I can do this. I want to be this leader. And so I looked for opportunities where in whatever I was given and whatever task I was doing, I could still be a leader even if my role was not that of a leader. So what I really want to impress upon you is that you act like a leader first and then you get the leadership role. So if you're looking to move up in your organization or get a new role in another company that would have leadership uh, responsibilities, you want to start acting like that leader today because they're not going to give you the job unless they see evidence that you already are a leader. So wherever you are in whatever position you're in, please hear me say that you can be a leader. 
And if you have ever been exposed to really great leaders, you know that what I'm talking about is not that person who bosses everyone around and doesn't do the work, tells everybody else to do it. That's not a leader. And so hopefully the things that we've talked about this quarter and that I'm going to talk about today will really drill down for you on what it takes to be a really good leader. So today we really want to hit those kind of subtle mistakes that you might be making or that you've seen other people make and that we want to prevent in order to actually get a leadership role, to be that leader that you want to be today. And I got a couple of, uh, there were some really good resources from businessworlddaily.com and inc.com. So some of these come from those sites as well as my own experience and opinions about leadership. So my, I'm going to do this letter, letterman style and do it in reverse order. So mistake number 10 is not having faith in your abilities. So if you think about the really great leaders that you've known and been exposed to, I bet you that a common theme, a common denominator with them is their confidence. And so if you're consistently second-guessing yourself in whatever role you're in right now, that's going to rub off on others, and others are going to kind of treat you the way you're treating yourself. So if you're treating yourself as someone who does not have confidence, others will treat you the same way. So you want to really trust your gut instinct. And what I can tell you from, from years of experience is I can look back on my life and the mistakes, and I, I will use air quotes for the word mistakes because I think it's all learning opportunity. I don't see them necessarily as mistakes. But if we want to call them missteps, most of the missteps that I've made in my career have been when I have gone against my gut. There was something in my gut that was telling me something and I chose not to listen to it. I chose to ignore it and it did not serve me to, to ignore that. So this quote is, while it's important to listen to others, employees and clients alike, sometimes this can be very dangerous. If you truly believe in what you're doing, it's okay to listen only to yourself sometimes. Be loyal to your internal compass. And that is from Morin Zur, who is the founder and CEO of Safe Beyond. So I really like that idea. So it's the idea that, you know, you want to, and as a good leader, you want to seek widespread input, but there comes a point at which sometimes you have to go against the grain, so to speak. You have to do what your gut is telling you to do, even when it's not popular, even when it's a belief that's not held by the others in the, in the group. Second-guessing yourself really results in you kind of presenting yourself as someone who isn't confident, who's unsure, who's maybe wishy-washy. And that's the opposite of leaders. Leaders are decisive, confident, self-assured people. So mistake number 10 is not having faith in your abilities. Mistake number nine is being reactive rather than proactive. So when you think about the, the kind of the pace of business today and, and, the, and most companies, if they're to survive, they really have to be on the cutting edge of whatever it is they do, the leading edge of the technology that they create or the service that they provide. And it's really important for leaders to be able to see around corners is the term that, that is very popular to use. Kind of that ability to see what's next, what's coming down the road, to be able to infer what's the next big thing based on your knowledge of the industry. And you want to make decisions based on tomorrow's information, not today's. Because if you're making if you're making decisions today on today's information, you're decisions are going to be outdated by the time they come to fruition. So reactive employees get a reputation as being kind of playing it safe or kind of constantly putting out fires that maybe could have been avoided altogether 
if they had taken a proactive stance. So leaders, true leaders, are not waiting for the problem. They're not waiting for their technology to become obsolete. They're not waiting for their service to be surpassed by someone else's service, a competitor's service. They are looking around corners. What's the next big thing? And, and looking around corners always with an eye to how can we better serve our clients? How can we be the best at what we do for our clients? So that's mistake number nine is being reactive rather than proactive. Mistake number eight is not being strategic about what you take on. So there's a real balance with this one and I want you to be sure that you hear me. Because when you have a supervisor and he or she gives you a responsibility it is up to you to complete that responsibility to the very best of your ability and no questions asked, right? You, you've been assigned this project and you want to do it. But what you want to be careful, is, so you want to get seen as kind of the go-to person. You want your boss to feel like he can come to you or she can come to you and you're going to take care of it. But, but the balance to that is that you don't want to get stuck kind of consistently doing scut work that kind of doesn't hone your, your skills, doesn't show what you're capable of. And I've seen this happen in offices with people who are often, I think it kind of ties into that, that um, number one, kind of not having faith in your abilities is they're not, they haven't presented themselves clearly to their boss in terms of their skill set, their capabilities. And, and at the same time, they've gotten this reputation of, you know, I can give scut work to this guy and, or this woman and, and she'll get it done. So you want to make sure that your boss knows exactly what projects you're interested in working on. And always come at it from the angle, not of what it will do for you, but of how this will benefit the company. So I have this skill in X, boss, and I wanted to let you know I, I, it's not getting used a lot now, and I would really like to use it more. And I think if I do use it, here's what will happen for the company. Here's the benefit to the organization. So you want to very clearly articulate, and I've talked about this on other podcasts, really managing your boss's expectations of you by letting him know what your strengths are and what you're capable of. So you may still get a fair share of scut work, but if you have that conversation with your boss, you're likely to have a minimum, you know, kind of a minimizing of scut work. Because if your boss sees you as being a solution to a problem in the department or you can take on a project that he or she really doesn't like doing and doesn't excel at, then he's going to want to put you on those projects, not scut work. He's going to assign the scut work to somebody else. So that's mistake number eight, not being strategic about what you take on. Mistake number seven is not setting personal goals. So of course, your boss is likely to have set goals for you. The company may have goals, the department, whatever the case may be. But future leaders are going to also set personal goals for themselves. And they typically are goals that exceed what the company is asking of them or what their boss is asking of them. So here's the, here's the real payoff with goals. They give you direction and purpose. And they also help you to measure your progress towards you know, the overall goals. So for example, the company may say, this is a goal that we have for the whole organization. Let's just say you're in sales and you need to increase sales by 25% in the whole department. And maybe the boss has an individual meeting with you and says, your responsibility towards this 25% increase amounts to X number of dollars. So that's the goal that's been set for you. And let's just say it's $100,000. let us just say that in the next year, you need to bring in $100,000 more in revenue than you did the year before. 
Well, maybe your personal goal is, I want to blow that out of the water, not because my boss has asked me to or not because I'm going to get any benefits or pats on the back or bonuses from my boss. I want to do it because it feels really good and I like a challenge. So I'm going to set my personal goal of $150,000. So I want to really blow that, my boss's expectation of me out of the water. What's really great about, I think, doing this for yourself in a non-leadership role, in a, in a non-positional leadership role, is that when you do get into a leadership role, you're going to be setting goals for your employees. So when you get in that habit and that practice of setting personal goals early on in your career, it will translate to making you a better leader as you have to set the goals of your employees. So one last word I want to be, be very clear about setting goals is you don't want to just set them. So you want to make sure you map out what is my strategy. So if I've got to earn, I want to generate $150,000 more in revenue in the next year, what are the strategies that I want to use? And then I want to calendar in those things so that I have time set aside. So if it amounts to a whole bunch of cold calls... Um, that I'm going to set aside maybe, maybe I'm normally doing two hours a day of cold calls and I'm going to set out an extra hour a day for cold calls. Maybe I need to join an additional networking organization in the, in the community that would, lead, would generate leads for me. So I'm going to calendar in the time to go to some different ones and see what, what makes the most sense for me. But make sure that you put it on your calendar. So that's mistake number seven, not setting personal goals. Mistake number six, oh, I'm preaching to myself on this one, avoiding conflict. I have to tell you, and I won't tell you how old I am, but I'm not young anymore, and it has taken me most of my life to get over mistake number six, avoiding conflict, because I used to run, not walk. So this one really, really resounds with me. So one of the most difficult adjustments I think a new leader has to make in learning is learning how to handle agreements, disagreements, or issues, right? So you want to be kind of fair and balanced, but at the same time, you're going to have to deal with conflict, and it's just unavoidable. This quote is from Mark Feldman, Vice President of Marketing at Stint, S-T-Y-N-T. He says, managers often veer away from confrontation and try to avoid it at all costs. But when performance or personality issues go unaddressed, they fester and set an overall tone that minimizes the urgency of correcting mistakes. If there is an issue, it's best to address it right away when the situation is fresh. I can't even tell you how much I agree with that. In fact, I want to read that again because I think it's so profound. When I think back on my career, my mistakes around avoiding conflict led to diminished morale throughout the organization because the whole group knew it was a small department and the whole group knew that someone was getting away with something. And secondly, um, the problem that may have started out as a small, you know, bump in the road became this huge, blistering, festering, open wound that was much more difficult to deal with when it eventually was dealt with. And the other thing I found is that because I wouldn't go and talk directly to someone and say, you know, tell me more about what's going on here. Help me to understand, you know, this thing that happened. I would make up a story in my mind and I had, I created a villain and a victim. I was the victim perhaps and this, this employee was the villain and, and I kind of vilified them when in fact it could have been something, just a minor oversight or a, you know, a, to them it didn't even register on their, their radar screen. So really the festering thing is huge. So here's that quote again from Mark Feldman. 
Managers often veer away from confrontation and try to avoid it at all costs. But when performance or personality issues go unaddressed, they fester and set an overall tone that minimizes the urgency of correcting mistakes. If there is an issue, it's best to address it right away when the situation is fresh. He also notes that many of the issues blamed for incompetence or, or poor performance are actually a result of misunderstood expectations. So it's not that this employee, and let's just think if you have a coworker, and maybe you're seeing the effect of your boss not managing conflict in your office and what it's doing and how you're reacting to it and what it's doing to this other person. And sometimes it's not a matter of this employee doesn't want to do the job and it's just a, a slacker, but rather that they didn't understand the expectations at the outset and there's a miscommunication going on. It could be very simply resolved if it's just headed off quickly. And so his final quote is, create an environment that encourages continuous feedback and be exact with dates and expected outcomes. So if your boss isn't giving you regular performance feedback, I've talked about this before, set aside time, ask for it, ask for a, you know, a, a monthly meeting with your boss or a quarterly meeting, whatever you feel you need. If all you're getting from your boss is an annual performance review, I promise you that is not enough. And certainly as you move into a leadership role, you want to give ongoing kind of continuous feedback to your employees. So there may be a an infrastructure in place for a an annual performance review that has to be very formal and done a certain way, but I've never heard of a company that has said you can't do it other than once a year. So you decide what is my what do my employees need? Ask them what they need in terms of feedback and performance evaluations and then set up that infrastructure above and beyond whatever the company is asking you to do. So that's number six, avoiding conflict. Don't avoid conflict. Number five, needing to be liked. Okay, I'm, I'm also a bit guilty of this one, which I think really fits into the avoiding conflict one, honestly. So often, employees avoid conflict because of an kind of overwhelming need to be liked. So their need to be liked supersedes the need to be right or the need to get things right and do things the right way. Um, David Scarola, who is the chief experience officer of the alternative board, says that leaders are people first, and it's natural that they would want to be liked. But the need to be in everyone's good favor can sometimes cloud solid business judgment. Amen. He also says, a common mistake with new managers and new business owners is that they make decisions that are popular which are often not the best decisions for the business. Leaders need to sometimes make unpopular decisions. Oh boy, do I know that. That comes with the territory. It is part of being a leader. If you must be liked at all costs, I can promise you, you will not be an effective leader ever. Instead of trying to be well-liked among your employees, you want to seek instead to be understood and respected. So, Think about that. The trade-off of being liked is that I will be respected, and, and that is so much more important as a leader. You want to learn how to communicate openly and frequently with your team and always keep staff members in the loop. I've, I've found this before. Um, it's interesting when staff isn't kept in the loop, they start to make assumptions about what's going on, and they make up a whole story. <laughs> I used to have to go to these weekly director's meetings and they were so god-awful boring and unproductive and I really did not 
feel that any of my colleagues from around student affairs had anything to tell my staff, right? So I, I don't think I even took notes in these meetings. It were just boring, god-awful things that took up half my day one day a week. But then I found out that my staff felt like they were missing out on something. And it was really interesting to me because I assumed that I didn't want to waste their time like my time was being wasted by telling them a lot of nothing. So I just started, you know, taking notes on stuff that I didn't think they cared about. And they soon quickly learned that those meetings were ridiculous, but it also kind of brought them on my side. They didn't feel like I was hiding anything from them. And we could kind of commiserate together about how stupid these meetings were. But they saw that I wasn't hiding. But until I did that, they made up a story about I was trying to keep information from them. So that's mistake number five, needing to be like, get over it. Mistake number four is gossip and lying. So let's just be real straightforward on this one. Don't gossip. And you also don't want to be known as kind of that two-faced employee who says something to one person and says something completely different to another person, you know, based on who's in front of you. So I, I like the rule of kind of don't say anything about anyone that you wouldn't say to their face. And it can be a real career killer if you get this reputation of being a gossip or being a liar. So please, 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 if that's an issue for you, work on that. So number four is gossip and lying. Mistake number three is failing to grow and learn. Please know that your bachelor's degree, assuming you've already completed it, is not the end of your education and your learning. It's really the beginning. So you might not want to go get a formal advanced degree. That may not be of interest to you, but you definitely will need to continuously learn and grow throughout your career. And one of the biggest mistakes one of the biggest teachers, I think, in your career is your mistakes. So if you can learn how to look at your mistakes from a growth perspective, from an objective standpoint, what can I learn here? How can I improve? And own up to that mistake. So if you need to go to your boss or a coworker or whomever and apologize or mea culpa yourself all over whatever happened, that's part of that mistake growth process. So you really want to learn from those mistakes and then not kind of try to place blame on somebody else. That's that's a real leadership potential killer if you are seen as someone who wants to lay blame somewhere else. Um, my coach says if you aren't making mistakes, you aren't taking enough risks. So Good leaders will see your mistakes as your attempt to grow and try new things and step out of your comfort zone. Um, good leaders are not going to want you playing it safe and never making a mistake. So mistake number three is failing to grow and learn. So we're getting almost to the top of this list here. And mistake number two is a huge one. Communicating poorly or not at all. I, I can't even. I can't even on this one. The importance of well-developed verbal and written communication skills, if you aspire to a leadership role, are essential. You're going to be asked to speak in front of groups, and I've done separate podcasts on speaking with authority, speaking, I think I called it speaking with leadership authority sometime earlier this quarter, and I've also talked about the written communication piece. I want to give you a couple of specifics here. Again, I've covered them elsewhere. But number, I kind of want to give you sort of how do you deal with this. So if written communication is not your strong suit, you're just not a particularly effective writer, I strongly encourage you to find a course, a program, a mentor, or something 
that will bring this skill for you to at least average. So I'm not asking you to aspire to be, you know, the next Mark Twain, but I am asking you to make it not be a negative, right? So let's take your written communication skills from being a detractor or a deterrent to leadership roles to being kind of a neutral in the mix. Um, so number two, if verbal communication skills are a weakness for you, the same suggestion, I want you to find a way, whether it's a course or program or something, to bring it to at least average. So you may not be the next, you know, TED Talk superstar, but you are going to have to get in front of groups of people and speak, not only at your organization, but perhaps out in the community representing your organization. And you want to at least bring that to average. I highly recommend Toastmasters, which is an, an, I think, international organization that is used to kind of promote, practice your public speaking skills. I've never joined Toastmasters because <laughs> this is one I don't have a problem with. I can, I can mea culpa all over a couple of these, but the communication skills are my strong suit. But because they're my strong suit, I am super critical of other people's lack of communication skills. I really um, can, it can really make a negative impact on me. So you have to deal with the fact that you might be being evaluated by a boss or getting interviewed by a boss who has very strong communication skills and will be very critical of, you know, in, in, in evaluating your skills. So another recommendation along with Toastmasters is for you to record yourself. So I have found, and I've shared this with you on the podcast before, I have greatly improved my vocal cadence and things like um and uh and just my vocal tone because I listen to myself every week. I have to edit this thing. I don't send it off to somebody. I edit it. And I learned really quickly that if I quit saying um so much, I wouldn't have to do as much editing work. So from a lazy perspective, it really worked for me to cut out a lot of the vocal habits. And it's interesting because then I'll have a guest come on the podcast and I have to do so much more editing because they have those vocal pauses and the ums and the ahs. Another thing that can be really revealing when you record yourself are things like speech patterns. And one of the biggest ones that I hear are people who kind of go up at the end of every sentence and it sounds like it's all a question. Uh, so you want to make sure that if you are not asking a question that it doesn't sound like you're asking a question. So you want to develop these skills with the ultimate goal of being able to keep employees in the loop efficiently and kind of quickly, right? You want to develop this, the written and the verbal communication skills so that when you have to communicate messages to your team, whether it is instructions on how to do something or here's the new initiative of the company or maybe it's an emergency that is life-threatening, you want to be able to communicate that as effectively and efficiently as possible. And by all means, in this day and age, do not expect to have a secretary or a coworker kind of cover for you on these. I grew up kind of in my early days, and it was interesting because I was at a coordinator level and I had a secretary. You would never see that in this day and age. But I had a secretary because I literally, back in, this was in the 90s, um, I didn't have a computer in my office, I the only computers were on the desks of the secretaries, and so I was beholden to a secretary for anything to be typed up. And so that those days are long gone for you guys, so don't expect anybody else to cover your, you know what, on that. So that's number, mistake number two, communicating poorly or not at all. And then number one, this is my big one, lack of follow-through. And this gets back to a concept I have talked about so much on this podcast 
but I think that it has derailed more people than any other of these kind of mistakes. To be considered for a promotion, you must excel at where you're at today. Never think this job is not important, so I'm not going to do a good job. This job is not in line with my career goals, so I'm not going to put a good job, make a good effort. This job doesn't pay me very well, so I'm not going to make an effort. No matter what, I want you to give your very best effort where you are, what you're doing today. It does not matter what the circumstances are of the job. It matters about your mindset that you're going to put forth your best effort. Not because of the employer, maybe. Maybe it's not because of your boss. It's Maybe it's not because of the paycheck. But it's because you want to look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and kind of give yourself a, a wink and a nod and a thumbs up and sleep well knowing that you did your very best effort. So don't think that the circumstances of your job, the circumstances of your work environment, the circumstances of your salary give you permission or require you that's really insidious that because of this I must not put forth I can't possibly put forth my best effort career killer for sure so it's it's never gonna serve you to let your brain think those thoughts I don't get paid enough to put in a good effort my boss doesn't appreciate what I do so why would I give an effort my coworker slacks off so why shouldn't I your brain is going to think that it's keeping you safe by keeping you kind of in the loop of this thought, this negative thought that you're having about the work or the employee or the boss, but it doesn't. So I want you to excel regardless of the circumstances. No excuses, no limitations. Just kill it. Kill it at work each and every day so that you can kind of look at yourself in the mirror with that wink and the nod and the thumbs up and you can sleep well at night. Oh, so that was number one was the lack of follow through. So these are my top 10 leadership derailers, and I hope that this has been helpful for you. As always, I want to be your career coach. So write me a note and, uh, you know, ask a question, leave a comment. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And hey, if you look in the show notes, you'll also see the link to my calendar so that you, if you want to schedule a quick call with me, about your career goals and what you're kind of facing in in terms of your job search or your career management, I would love to talk to you. So you can email me at lisa, L-E-S-A, at exclusivecareercoaching.com. You can visit my website at exclusivecareercoaching.com. Look in the show notes for the link to my calendar, and I will see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.